welcome to another episode of Peace, Love, and Hot Sauce, the Quarantine Sessions. Today is an interview with a very good friend of mine, Mr. Albert Castilia, and let's get to it. Let's do this. How you guys doing? Welcome to a Sunday quarantine edition of Peace, Love, and Hot Sauce. And today's very special guest is none other than the formidable Mr. Albert Castilia. How are you doing today, sir? Excellent, considering we're in a pandemic. Yeah, yep. Other than that, I'm fine. I'm doing good. Let's start at the beginning. Um, where did you grow up and how did you get involved with the music business? And is your, d- does your family come? Uh, is your family uh, all about music or, or is it just you? Uh, pretty much it's just me. I mean, um, so I, I, uh, I grew up in uh, Miami, Coral Gables, Miami area. Uh, we moved to, we, we, well, I was born in New York, but we we left New York City when I was four and moved to Florida. And, uh, yeah, I grew up in Miami. And, uh, you know, um, I had uncles that played guitar. My mom's brother um, played a little guitar, and that's actually how I got into it. Um, he, he used to, he, at the time that I was, I was a kid, when I was like uh, 12 years old, around 12, uh, my uncle was living with, with my grandparents, and uh, he used to have a, a weekly jam session. Him and his buddy would would jam. They had drums and, and guitar, and, and they just jammed out. And then every now and then they let me in on the action on some drums, although I wasn't very good. But uh, that's how I got it, you know, interested in the guitar. And so my uncle showed me about three chords, and then he moved. He moved away, and I and I he. He had left me a uh, Bob Dylan songbook with with a with chord with a chord chart uh, on the back of the book. That's kind of how I learned the chords and stuff. And uh, you know, I pretty much learned on my own. You know, I wasn't a very you know, overly, overtly musical family, uh, particularly in my direct family. My parents weren't really very musical. Is it? Um, um, are you are you um, Italian? Where does the last name Castiglia come from? Well, it's Sicilian. Um, my father's Sicilian. Uh, my mother's Cuban. Okay. So uh, that's the main. But I have other. I found out recently in my on my 23andMe test that I have other things as well. Other things. Um, we're all mutts, is what I've come to realize. Right. I don't think any anybody's pure as the driven snow. You come to find out there are other elements in your in your DNA that come into play, and it's it's pretty interesting. But it's, but it's primarily, you know, uh, Spanish um, and, and Italian. And uh, you'd appreciate this. I found out, you know, I had uh, Spanish, uh, you know, my, my grandparent my, my, my grandparents' uh, family, uh, they back to Spain. And we were like, uh, they were like Gallegos in the Galicia section, which ain't too far from where you're which ain't too far from where your people are from. You're, you're, you're Portuguese, right? You're Portuguese. Yeah, man. Yeah. 
Well, like, yeah, well, I, I played near there in, in Spain, in that area, and it's not very far from Port- uh, Portugal. Wow. It's like right on the outskirts. So we might be related. You never know. <laughs> um, how old were you when you were in your first band? Oh, and do you man. remember the name of the first band? Oh, sure. It was the Miami Blues Authority was the name of the band. I had, like, out of high school, I, I wasn't ready to play in bands. I, I really wasn't, you know, I wasn't that good. I wasn't that advanced. I wasn't, I wasn't ready. So I went to jam sessions from the time I was right out of high school and into and, and about, like, when I was, like, 20, uh, on the edge of 21. And um, that's when I was in my first band. It was called the Miami Blues Authority, and it was made up of guys um, who who were from Iowa, wow. who went to the University of Iowa, but then when after they graduated, they moved to Florida and got into politics, uh, wow. working for commissioners, county commissioners. So these guys all had day jobs, but they wanted to play, you know, they wanted to get their kicks. So they put this band together, and I was, I was, uh, you know, and I, I joined the band with all these guys that were, they were 10 years older than I was, a good 10 or 15 years older than I was. And, and so they had very uh, eclectic tastes, and, and, and I learned a lot from them in terms of, of music and stuff. We did like Almond Brothers and, and Wet Willie, and we played blues and Southern Rock. But it was the Southern Rock stuff that they, they, they got me into, you know, like, well, they got me into Little Feet, too, you know, and, and uh, things like that. How old were you when you first yeah, started? Yeah, it, it was a great experience. It was a great experience. Did you immediately start singing too, as soon as you picked up the guitar? Or did that come later? That came. That came when I when I joined the band. The, my first band. They started. They they had me sing a few songs. We had uh, the other singer. We we had a a couple of singers in the band, and 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 uh, I I did a I did about three or four songs a set, but it wasn't. I wasn't very comfortable with it in the beginning. In fact, I cringe at the early demos. I, I, on occasion, I listen to the early demos from the from the band, and I was like, I cringe sometimes. Yeah. Did um now, when how old were you when you first met um, Chicago blues man uh, Junior Wells, and and how did that come about? I know you someone. I know probably people have asked you this before, but um, how did that come well, about? Yeah, not well. Um, so my and my. My first band lasted about seven years, and uh, I made a little less than that. And then um, near the end of the band, the kind of the band, band kind of fell apart in '96. And I was doing a bunch of bunch of, uh, you know, I was playing in rock bands. I was doing what, taking whatever gigs I could take. Right. Um, doing you know side work. And um, around '96, uh, a mutual friend of mine, uh, Gloria Pierce. Um, had invited me to go out with her to uh, to see Junior, and she she uh, knew Junior from back in the seventies, oh. and uh, and so you know he was in town. He played he played the uh, the back room on Atlantic, right? And uh, he did New Year's nineteen ninety six, uh, December thirty first nineteen ninety six. He played a gig. He he did the New Year's gig there, and uh, so Gloria invited me to come with her. And she told me to uh, bring my guitar, and I said, "All right, but don't push, don't push him. I don't want to be pushing. No, oh, don't worry about it." And we showed up, and uh, and she introduced me to him and, and, and his road manager uh, and nephew Michael Blakemore. 
and uh, I didn't say, talk to him about playing or anything. And, and then uh, later on, there was his road manager came up to me, and he said, uh, uh, "I heard you play guitar." I said, "Yeah." And I said, uh, "You want to sit in?" I said, "Yeah, I'd love to." And he goes, "Well, you know, uh, you better be good, cause, cause if you're not, you know, uh, Junior's gonna embarrass you in front of everybody." In the, in the- oh no. And I said, well, oh yeah, he could do that if you weren't playing well. He did. You know, John Ure told me that. Told me one time that uh, that he sat in with him at the back room, and uh, Junior was cussing him out <laughs> on stage. And uh, and I said, well, and this was years after I had played with him, and Junior had been gone. And I said, well, don't feel too bad. He did it to me. And John goes, well, you didn't pay him five thousand dollars. <laughs> So, but Junior didn't, you know, Junior didn't take no shit. Junior, if, if Junior didn't think you were giving your best, he would let you know it. So I got up there and, and I said, man, so so his road manager was like, you know, you better be good because if, if not, he's going to he's gonna embarrass you up there, you know. I said, don't, I said, don't worry about it because at this point I was working at the welfare office in Miami. Wow. Which is a mean, was a mean scene. Wow. I did that right out of college. Um, and so I was like, man, so I wasn't afraid of shit at that time. I was, you know, it's like, I said, a bad night with Junior Wells beats a good day at the office. You know, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You cuss me out. I mean, that's, I've had knives pulled out on me at, at the welfare office. Are you kidding stuff. me? Oh, sure. It wasn't an easy job, man. You had people down on their luck, and if you had to turn them down or tell them, you know, or if you found out they were robbing the system and you put a hold on their stamps, they wouldn't be happy with you. So it would get pretty hairy. So, you know, playing, the idea of playing with Junior Wells didn't make me the least bit nervous. I mean, I was nervous, but I wasn't, like, scared of him. I wasn't scared to play with him. I mean, I was getting a chance to play with my idols, one of my idols. So I got up there and played with him. I did about four songs, five songs. I, I played with the band first without Junior. We did, like, two or three songs. I think we did Mr. Magic and... and uh, Maybe Chameleon or something. I can't remember. Uh, but we did two or three songs with the band, and then Junior came up, and I did three more songs with him. And we do. I know we did Messing with the Kid, and I think we did Little Red Rooster as well. And I can't remember the other one. Might have been Hoodoo Man or Come On in This House. But whatever it was, it was it was amazing to me. That was like the greatest day of my life at the time. Oh. And that was it, you know. And uh, so we 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 hung out. I hung out with the band, and, and we we had a great time. And, and then they had to leave because they had to go to Alabama the next day. So they were they were out. I think they drove straight to Alabama from the gig. And I said, "Well, so long." And that was it. And I kind of I kind of didn't didn't uh, think much about it except that was the greatest day of my life. And then um, the following month, like a month later, they needed me to fill in for the guy that I wanted replacing. Hmm. They called me. In. And they flew me up, and I did three dates with them. I did Buffalo, Cleveland, and Detroit. And then I and and I went home. And then I thought that was the greatest time of my life because I got to tour with Junior Wells. You know, it was three day, three dates. Mm-hmm. It was out of town. I got to leave town and play in Buffalo, Cleveland, and Detroit. It was amazing. And then I went home, and then I didn't think about it. I went back, you know, kind of went back to work. Actually, I got cocky after I got back from that tour. I said. Man, I don't need this job, and then I kind of took a took a couple weeks off, thinking I was gonna get enough dates, enough gigs to maybe 
worked full time playing music, but that didn't work out, you know. And uh, so I was a, mo- a month went by after that that first uh, after that first that first tour I did with Junior. I just kind of carried on with work, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I think I was living with my parents at the time, and uh, my mom said, "Hey, somebody's on the phone. Uh, Michael Blakemore is on the phone." I go, "Oh, that was Junior's road manager." And I said, "Hey, what's happening?" He goes, "You want to move? Can you move to Chicago? Can you be in Chicago in three days?" And I said, "For what?" And he goes, "To play with Junior full time." Awesome. And I said, "And I said, uh, let me think about it." Just kidding! I'll be right there. <laughs> and uh, and I got, I think I had a gig or two with the rock with the rock band I was with, a bunch of high school buddies I was in a rock band with. Um, I did a gig with them on a Saturday, and like a couple days later, like on a Monday, I was on a plane to Chicago, and I was, I got on, you know, and, and it, this was April, late April of, of '97, so like my dumb ass thought, you know. April in Florida was the same as April in Chicago, so I was wearing shorts and a tank top, and I got on the plane. When I landed in O'Hare, it was 45 degrees. <laughs> and, uh, but it was uh, it was amazing. I, like the day I got there to Chicago, I had a the day I got to Chicago, my cousin picked me up. And he he had just got married, and um, he lived in Chicago. His wife from Milwaukee but they, they had a they had an apartment on uh, Lincoln and Belmont on the north side yeah and I they reluctantly they hastily let me stay there they were, the plan was to let me stay there for a week or two so I found something but that lasted a day because I had a snoring problem I still do <laughs> I snored and they live you know the loft the lofts they don't have lofts too many lofts in Florida but right. there are a lot of lofts converted lofts and in, 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 in made in apartments but lofts don't have the walls don't go up all the way to the ceiling you know and so you know I snored and it was kind of vibrating all over the place the following morning my cousin said yo man you gotta get out of here you can't you can't stay here my wife can't get any sleep and I'm like okay fine you know kiss my ass so I left I took my I went and I uh, stayed at the other guitar player's house for a day and then I went up the street for my cousins, like two blocks up. I went to a transient hotel called the Hotel Belmont. It was right off of the red line, and it was a it was like twenty nine ninety nine a night, and uh, it was full of hobos and Damn, hookers and and uh, and you know real. It was you know it was thirty dollars a night in yeah. the in the middle of um, Clark, oh, you know off of Clark and and. Uh, uh, Clark and Belmont. Yeah. I mean, it was it was it was a, it was an okay neighborhood, but wasn't exactly the you know the Gold Coast, you know, Gold Coast or Beverly Hills. Right. It was a transient hotel, and it was full of people, weirdos. And I lived there for a week or two. And I got in there, and I had this little uh, hotel room with a chalk line on the floor, and and uh, and like a, a TV, a tiny TV with a with a with a with a uh, wire hanger as an antenna and I had to share the toilet with a hobo next door and you could hear hookers running up and down the hall screaming. <laughs> Damn. And I looked and I looked out the window 
as I could hear gunfire, and I could say, and I was like, man, this is the greatest day of my life. I'm a Chicago blues man. I'm free. I'm finally doing what I want to do. This is what I wanted. So, you know, like, I would never go back to a, a job that I hated again. Right. And uh, it's just been, you know, that's that's what Junior meant to me. He, he opened the door. That meeting with him changed my life, you know. How how did how did he treat you on the road and and how much did did if you know how much did you guys make? Well, I think we when I recall we made a hundred and a quarter a night. I think it had just, the band had just gotten a raise and then I joined the band. I think they were making a hundred a night. It was a big band, you know. There was a lot of people to pay. There was a it was a nine piece band. Damn, was it nine piece or an eight piece? Well, nine if you include Junior. We had three horns. A B3, two guitars, drums, and a, yeah. So it was like eight, eight, nine pieces. So there were a lot of people to pay. So I, we made, when I joined the band, it was like a hundred and a quarter a night. And um, he treated me good. I mean, he, you know, he, he had his moments. Sure. Um, he, he, could, he, he could be really tough on stage with you. I'll never forget the first gig I did with him as a permanent member of the band. Um, we played a right up. Uh, the street from the transient hotel at a club called Blues Etc. And uh, my I had my cousins, my aunt, my uncles were in the audience. I think my parents might have flown up. I can't remember. And um, I can remember. I thought I was playing exactly as I played in that tour a few, few uh, month prior. But he kept looking looking back at me, and he kept giving me this dirty look. And then. Uh, his lips were moving, but nothing was coming out, but I could read his lips. And uh, this is a podcast, right? We don't have no FCC regulations, right? Cor- yeah, correct. <laughs> so he, uh, so Junior's lips were moving, <clears throat> but nothing was coming out, but I could read his lips clearly. And what he says was, motherfucker, what are you playing? And then he, so I, I said, well, maybe I'm playing the wrong thing because the other guitar player, you know, the, the idea when you're playing with two guitars is that if somebody's, playing low you play high and somebody's playing on the high end of the neck you ought to play low you know not to try to sure. it was important not to play the same thing yeah. that the other guy was playing but i don't know there was nothing i could do to make him happy that night wow and i tried every chord that wasn't the other guitar players i tried every inversion i didn't even realize i tried i was making up chords just to see if it would it would make him happy it wasn't nothing was and he just he gives him motherfucker what are you playing and then he sometimes he'd get on the mic and he'd say, Mr. Guitar Player, can you play it like I want? He would say that. Damn. And so it was a rough night. It was a rough night. So I went to the bar and uh, I thought I'm for sure he was going to fire me. Um, I said, man, this thing, you're going to fire me. I was like, give me a double chip, Southern Comfort. And uh, and then he walked up to me and said, yeah, you'll get it next time. Uh, so that's the way he was, you know. And I, so for the first, the first month, the first month or two was 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 a train was it I was it, it was kind of a feeling each other out kind of it was it was about getting comfortable with the band and developing sure. a chemistry with the band sure. and finding your place in the band and so it was a, a couple month or two was was a learning a trial by error thing and sometimes he didn't ride me and sometimes he did. Um, did you ever get to so, see him really pissed off at someone other than the band? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute, pissed off at somebody else? Yeah, like, not not, not, a, not a band member, like, a club owner. Somebody or... in the audience? Yeah. A club owner? No, you know, 
I saw him. Well, actually, I saw him get mad at somebody. At, but he never. Ra- he didn't really raise his voice to people when he was mad. And um, maybe it was because by the time I was with him, he didn't. He wasn't quite as young and as spry as as he was in the past. But um, I'll remember. I'll never forget one time. Man, of all places, we played the Sebastian Beach Inn. You remember that place? Yeah. Did you ever play there? Yeah. We played the Sebastian Beach Inn, and he was about to do the song, What My Mom Told Me To. It was on the On Tap album. And that song was, like, about his mom, and his mom had just passed away, like, the year before. And his mom, he loved his mom. I mean, he loved his mother more than anything. In fact, his mother lived with him. Uh, the whole time he, and so he did this song about his mom and and so he, he got up there and he said I'm going to do this song with my mom and somebody was talking in the audience and he kind of told him to shut up kind of you know right. but in a really you know he he, he, not a, he didn't raise his voice right he just kind of did it in a very deliberate slow way brother this is my song I'm doing this song for my mama you got to let me do my song and you need to sit down let me you need to stop talking you know he just kind of chastised him a little bit but um no I just you know he get all right we're back with Albert here Go ahead, buddy. So, uh, yeah, he, he um, what was, what was the question? I'm sorry. What were That's we okay. We were talking about Junior, and he was um, going to do a song about his mom, and there was uh, somebody in the audience, and uh, yeah, that was that was the only time I ever saw him uh, uh, really get get it get it in with, with somebody in the audience. Um, you know, he didn't really deal with the club owners too much. His road manager dealt with it with everybody at, at that point. Um, so no, I mean, you know, usually if, if, if I wasn't spared in the, I mean, I wasn't the only one that, that, uh, that got his wrath on the bandstand, but you know, he was just, he, he expected a lot from, from his bands and, um, sure. Yeah. If you weren't, you know, he was kind of, he kind of reminded me of my dad in a way, you know, he kind of was nurturing when he had to be. And if you felt that you weren't giving your best, he would let you know, you know. It, it just sometimes it, it, it would be on, on stage when people were watching, but but he was he was great. I learned a lot from him, and he, he was really, uh, he was kind of, he was kind to me. And I was the new guy in the band, so there wasn't, you know, there were guys in the band who weren't crazy about me being in the band because they, they thought, um, you know, a guy from Chicago should have gotten the gig, but at that point, you know that Junior went through everybody in Chicago, and there weren't a lot of people he could trust um, at that point um, that he could rely on. So, I mean, that was a big part of the reason he hired me. He felt, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't uh, one of these knuckleheads on the scene, and you know, I, I seemed to have a good head on my shoulders, and, and uh, so he felt he could rely on me to be to be straight, you know. But by that time, you know, he couldn't rely on anybody in, in town. And, uh, you know, it worked out. He, he was, he had my back, you know, he was, he had my back. There were, there were a few people in the band that had my back. A band that size is like a big family and there's little factions and stuff. And I didn't really, uh, 
I was kind of the odd man out. Didn't really. It was kind of a man on an island in that band at times. I it felt, but 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 uh, you know, his junior support meant meant everything to me, and that's what uh, kept me going. You know, uh, on those times where I didn't feel like uh, um, I was wanted in the band. Hmm. And so it meant a lot to me. How long were you in the band? Oh, I was with him uh, about nine months. Um, I think I was with him. Well, he was. I was with him in April. Uh, I joined a- a- with him in April full time, and he, he passed away. In, uh, he passed away January fifteenth, nineteen ninety-eight. Hmm. I was with him till the end. Um, what did you do after junior? After junior, I stayed in Chicago. You know, and and, and uh, we tried to keep a, 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 a. We put a band together. Um, after Junior died, got members of the band, members of the band, and, and we tried to keep it going. And we we get little gigs here and there, and then we get little gigs in the suburbs. It was real tight, tough for uh, it, you know. It was hard to get gigs in the city sometimes. You know, the uh, I don't know. The city was tough. Did you the ever... city was tough for white. It was tough for white white frontmen in, in, in the city. You know, they, a lot of these clubs didn't want white frontmen. Um, they they didn't feel that uh, that that represented the uh, the uh, what should I say the authentic Chicago blues experience. Yeah. So I, I, we get a lot of you know so we get gigs in the suburbs you know uh, over in uh, Berwyn there was a club there's still there Harlem Avenue Lounge that we used to play at and then I I do side gigs with people I I had a uh, I had played with played around with guys like Charlie Love, and, uh, Lindsey Alexander, J.W. Williams. Did some gigs with, with uh, Phil Guy. Um, did you ever ever get to yeah. play with Buddy? Buddy Jam. Buddy sat in with us last year. Um, he, he he sang and and we backed him up on a on a song. But I didn't get to no, I didn't get to jam with him at that time in the 90s but I did I did go to his club a lot um, if you were a musician and they knew you you could get in anytime you wanted uh, and uh, I used to go over to Legends once a week and, uh, and see him man I saw him on his I think it was Bernard Allison I, Bernard Allison was playing and I can't remember if it was Buddy's birthday or Bernard Allison's birthday but Buddy sat in jams with uh, Bernard there was, a, uh, there was another time I went and um, Lonnie and Wayne Baker Brooks Lonnie Brooks and Wayne Baker Brooks had just put out a Blues for Dummies uh, book and and so they had this like release party and everybody that had a Blues for uh, every, everybody that had a Dummy for Dummies book was there so like every celebrity that had a, a for Dummies book so I saw um, Jackie Joyner, was it, no Florence, uh, Flojo, no, it was Jackie Joyner, Kersey, wasn't it? I think I think Jackie Joyner or Florence Griffith Joyner, my, uh, one of the one of the track uh, stars was there, and Dr. Ruth. I had a drink with Dr. Ruth. <laughs> Dr. Ruth had a sex for dummies book, and I was, and I guess, um, and Buddy was there. Buddy was at the end of the bar. I was like, I think it was surround. I had Buddy guy on one side. And Dr. Ruth on the other. 
That's funny. And I and I and I, and I told I said, Doctor Ruth, thank you for all your advice. Uh, <laughs> I think I had a shot with her. I think I did a shot with Doctor Ruth. That's hilarious. But that was a jam because because Wayne was there, Wayne Baker Brooks and Lonnie Brooks were there, and, and then Buddy Jam. It was it was a great time to be a to be there. You know, there was that that period of time was one of the best times to be in Chicago, and and because there were so many. Uh, so many different ways of blues being played. You know, when I when I moved there in '97, I came in there to you know expecting to see the old guys and the people that I you know grew up listening to, like um, like uh, Otis Rush, you know, and, and Carrie Bell and Glory Bell and Lonnie Brooks, and Coco Taylor, you know, the the, the old the old school guys, you know. Yeah. But then when I got there, there were there was these young younger players that were pushing the envelope like uh, Melvin Taylor and uh, Rico McFarland and Chico Banks and Mike Wheeler there was there's little younger guys and they were doing like they had like an edge to their sound they had like a little bit more of a rocket edge and a contemporary to a, to a rocket to their sound and um, it really floored me the different kind of music you could go there and you could hear uh, Dave Myers from the Aces doing a solo acoustic thing, or or uh, Homesick James, or Detroit um, Junior doing old traditional stuff, and then you you go over and, and catch uh, Melvin Taylor on a, on a Tuesday night, um, shredding the blues, and yeah, it was a it was a wonderful time to be there, and and not not too many people uh, that period of time in Chicago got overlooked, yeah, because yeah because most people who listen to blues are, are traditional to listen, and some of that stuff turned them off. But man, what a great time to live there! It sure was. It was amazing. How, how do you feel that the blues genre has changed from then until now, as far as like clubs, uh, venues, fans, and musicians? Do you do you miss the old days? Do you do you think that it's better now? Well. I mean, I, I think I was doing all right. I mean, personally, I think I was doing all right. I mean, we had to, things were so much different then, back then. I was, I was, a, I was just a side man. So I looked at, I looked at things from a side man's point of view back then. And, um, you know, I, I miss those days, but I'm, I'm happy where I'm at now. I mean, I got so much going on, uh, right now that, that I can't really say I miss the old days. I, 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 I I'm quite fond of the old days. I learned so much from those days, but we have to, you know, we have to, uh, we have to evolve, and that, and that, I've, I'm certainly more evolved now than I was back then. Yeah. Back then, it was like you had to, you know, back then it was, uh, you know, you had to play as, and you, it was like not, head, it was like almost like head cutting, you know, it, there was, it, it was almost like a, a mercenary attitude about playing, like you had to get up there and play your ass off. And try to kill the other guy. You know that that was you know that toughened me up. It was a, it was, but I'm I'm a little more philosophical about those days now. And I look back and I'm like, now I'm more about playing with people. Like like when I was like back then, it was survival. You know, it was like a survival thing. Like you had to, you just had to have an edge to you. In order to survive that scene, 
and I don't feel that way now. I'm, I'm a lot older and um, a little more. I got a little more knowledge, and uh, and I'm a little wiser than I was back then. So, in some respects, I miss it, but I don't. I don't miss it totally because um, I got a good life now, and um, so many good things have been happening. Plus, you know, I got a, you know, I found out I got a daughter and everything. And that's right. That's insane. So, so it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to say that I missed those days. I look back on those days with fondness, and I'm glad that I did. I'm glad that I went. I'm glad I went to Chicago. It was the greatest experience ever. And I, and, and when I came, and came back, um, I didn't want to leave at the time because that's all I ever wanted to be since I was. 15 was to be a Chicago Blues guy, yeah. but it was there was a period where it was where I had to come home. There was just a time where, where I just had to go home, you know, and I did it, and uh, and uh, and I, I felt like I had failed when I left, huh. but I didn't. I, I'm looking back now. I didn't. Uh, I just I, it was just time to to make to change scenery. It was time to go home, and it was the best thing I could have done because, because now you know things. You know, I had to move on from being a sideman at that point to, to fronting my own band, and I had a better chance of doing it. I felt at home, and uh, and it was the right move. But boy, I, I miss Chicago a lot sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you grew up, you grew up there before you moved here. Yeah, I miss it too. I miss. Uh, the it, it's to me, it's the greatest city. I, I like it. Um, it's one of the great cities in the world. It might be the my favorite city. It's it's so it's like New York, but it's a little smaller, a little cleaner, a little easier to get around in. Yeah, you know, I, I, people are nice. <laughs> <laughs> people are nice everywhere. I'm not, you said that, not me. No, I love Chicago, and I and I and I, I go back two or three times a year to tour. And, uh, yeah, I miss I miss certain aspects of it, no doubt. But but I mean. Uh, you know, I'm in I'm in a really good place right now. You know, I got a really good band, and, and uh, things are falling into place personally in my life, and uh, and I just uh, I look back with fondness. You recently won a blues music award, and if um, someone listening doesn't know what that is, um, can you tell the people how what it is about, and um, how did you hear about it, and did did you hear about it? Did you know before you were going to win? Or did you, you know, when you were watching, did you find out? Um, I had no idea that I was going to win. Um, it's put on by the Blues Foundation. It's it's the most prestigious award in our genre. Um, it's, uh, it's put on by the Blues Foundation. They do they do great work. They, they help uh, bring awareness to the blues and, and they help... Uh, they help. Uh, they have services that help uh, down and out musicians. Yeah. Uh, healthcare services. They they help uh, blues musicians get healthcare. And uh, you know, particularly now in the, in, the, in the times we are now, with the, uh, with the pandemic, there are a lot of musicians that are working there. They're helping. Uh, you know, uh, pay pay bills for, for, for musicians. You know, it's, I think it's a. Uh, uh, they do great work. So yeah, they, I got nominated for for. Uh, for two blues music awards, uh, one was for blues rock album of the year, and the other was for blues rock artist. And um, 
I didn't think I had much of a chance in the blues rock artist of the year category. There was there was some heavy competition in that one. Um, uh, I I knew Eric Gales was going to win, but I, I believe um, I believe Tinsley Ellis was on it as well and was nominated as well in that category. So I was like, man, I don't think I have a chance. I was holding out that I'd have a chance on the blues rock album because I, I strongly felt my my album was was the best one of the of the uh, of the nominees. But I'm, I'm biased because it was the album uh, making of that album meant so much to me. Time, the, the 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 message behind it and the, the the subject matter behind it. So I was a little biased in my opinion. I thought I had a, a chance when and but but. Uh, I don't get too excited about these awards things because I know that you know these there are artists that are nominated that are more popular than I am, and so I didn't go in like expecting to win. And 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 if I had lost, I'd still be fine with it. But man, it was a hell of a surprise. And it was and we were watching uh, Michelle, my wife, and I were watching it uh, in the living room, and. Uh, just jumped around all happy. It was it was kind of strange. So we weren't we weren't in Memphis right. for it. And, right. Um but uh it was great. It was a fun day. We won, we we party, we, we had a good time and then and then a handful of friends drove by the house and honked their horns and <laughs> said hello to us uh socially dis- socially responsible, socially distance right distancing responsibly and but um, yeah, it was a it, it was a great achievement. Um, uh, it, it was something I'll never forget because the album meant so much much to me. Uh, you know, I had written it was pretty much inspired by my my newly found uh, daughter and my my two grandchildren. Um, yeah, there was no uh, and and my previous record label didn't didn't like the record when I finished. Wow. It. No way! <laughs> and didn't want to put it. And didn't want to put it out. So I wound up buying it out. Oh well, my friend Mike Zito, who owns Gulf Coast Records, bought out the contract, and we and we put it out on his label. Wow! And, um, to go from not from having a record that was that not being wanted to to winning an award for best blues rock album of the year was kind of uh, uh, what's the word uh, bittersweet. No, it wasn't bittersweet. It was more than no. Hell no, it wasn't bittersweet. Why? Because somebody didn't like the record. It was redemption. It was like redeeming, or, or, or I felt very, uh, I felt satisfied. I was like, yeah, I did. I made the right decision, sticking to my guns. It wasn't bittersweet at all. Uh, what was bittersweet was was having to buy out the contract to buy the record. I mean, it was it was because I was I was happy that that, that Mike took it on. And believed in me enough, you know. It, it hurt a little bit that that um, my previous label went crazy about it, but that passed because you know it, the record did very well. It charted on Billboard about five times last year, and people were liking it, and the reviews were great. And I was I was expecting some people to to push back on it that because we did some out of the box kind of things for blues. We we used drum uh, drum machine on a, a song or two. We used some effects. Um, to create an ambiance on some songs and I, I, I had assumed it was gonna rub some some of the purists the wrong way, but it didn't. Not not as many as I thought. I did get one Facebook message from a fan who 
didn't like the one, the one of the songs was the drum machine oh and he begged god. me he begged me to he begged me to change it oh my god after the record came out oh my like three god. months into it this guy goes i'm a big fan i love you i love you man but could you do it please go back and put a real drum in there and that's all please there's always laugh. somebody that's gonna say stuff like that you can't please well anybody. it was all right he didn't mean to buy it and he didn't buy it and i just uh, i let it go it didn't bother me too much it's the thing about finding out you have a child um it makes you less uh, uh it gives you when you find out you have a daughter and two grandchildren um you become less inclined to give a shit about things so it was like it didn't bother me and I, I, it didn't bother no matter what anybody people who didn't like it it didn't bother me because all that mattered was um, how, what my daughter felt about it and, and it was all about her you know I mean she changed my life I, I, I look at things completely different now because of her and, and uh, it, it made it, it enriched my life so nothing anybody can say about what I do from this point out bothers me because all that matters to me is what what, what, it, what it did for me is, is it made me realize that all that matters is what my family thinks of me not what anybody else thinks of me people sure. people don't like my records it's, it's not a big deal it's, it was my record and, and uh, it's the way I made it that's not important what's important is what my, my daughter what my daughter thinks of me or my grandkids things like that to right. put things in perspective let me say I, sure. I say sure but winning it was quite satisfying after being told that it wasn't that great of a record, that it sounded like shit, um, and then this and that and the other, and being rejected by the label, uh, winning it was quite satisfying, and it and it, and it reinforced my uh, my uh, you know it made it made me geez I'm gonna lost for words that probably okay. because I'm locked up in the house, but it just it it reaff- it affirmed. My, what I did, you know, what I did was the right thing. And and what the moral of the story is, you know, if somebody thinks your stuff is crap, it might be good. If a record label thinks your record is bad, then it might not be. You know, you have to you have to do what 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 your heart tells you to do. Of course. And um, if your heart tells you that 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 this is the statement you want to make with a record, then you should. Right. Nobody else should make that decision for you. Right. And that doesn't mean you don't count other people's opinions i mean i had guidance you know mike is a tremendous producer and he he put ideas and he gave me ideas and about 90 percent of the time i agreed with him so there's nothing wrong with taking input but as far as an overall work that you created if you're proud of it then then, then you, you don't have to explain it to anybody it doesn't right. matter what anybody thinks as long as it means something to you right so what's on the what's on the next what's on the horizon there what do you what do you see coming for you and uh, well, I'd like, you know what well, how do you think about all this pandemic well, well you know I'm, I'm, I, I think once we get a uh, uh, once we get a vaccine I think we'll be getting back to normal um, of course things are in chaos now and we just all have to adapt um, in our own ways we just gotta figure a way to survive and um but that's what it is. That's what life's about, you know. I mean, Charles Darwin said it. It's not the strongest species that survives, nor the smartest. It's the one that can adapt to its uh, environment. And right now, our environment is a little screwy, and uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. And everybody's got to do what's best for themselves. Um, and 
and uh, you know we'll see. I, I, I'm really looking forward to the day we get the vaccine because I, I think it's made me. Uh, I think this is going to make us all better people. Well, not all of us, but right. Uh, anybody, <laughs> any. I mean, it hasn't. It hasn't made good people. I mean, you, you can really see who are the good people who aren't for this. But yeah, I think most most decent people uh, are going to come out better uh, after this. Uh, I know I am. I think. I'm going to do things a little differently when, when things go back to normal. I'm probably going to be a little more conscious about saving money because this has been an exercise in, in, in surviving and saving money in order to pay the bills and yeah. doing things like that. And, and it's, it's made me uh, appreciate the little things in life more. Um, so I, I uh, good, when this ends, it's good, there's going to be nothing but good things for us, I believe. I hope so, man. What do you What are you doing to keep yourself busy? I've been doing a lot of wood shedding. Oh, good. I've been working around the house, helping helping my wife out, and, but doing a lot of wood shedding. You know, I've I've been working so much, I've been playing so much the last twenty five years that I never really had much time to really wood shed. Mm-hmm. And um, and because I just spent all my time working. Right. It's been fun doing that. I've been getting into stuff that I overlooked in my earlier years because I got so caught up in, in blues, you know, blues and, and rock were my were my main focus. When I was playing, learning how to play, I missed out on some really good stuff. And uh, now I'm learning, you know, little things like you know, I've been getting into Eric Johnson. Wow. And and uh, I never got into him early on because I was all into you know I was all into muddy. And, and I was just I went to, the timing just wasn't right for me to get into it and now I'm uh, you know I've had I've had the time to really get into him and listen to him and I really enjoy what he's doing and so I'm just trying to take some things from his bag you know and other people's you know uh, it's it's been that's been fun that's been the fun part of this is being able to uh, sit down and practice and learn new things and, and expand my horizon. Yeah. We, we all have to find ways to make the most of this time and, and make it positive. And uh, everybody's got their own thing. Not everybody's a musician. Not everybody's a show is, a, is a musician. But I'm sure there are things we can all do to, with this time to, to make it, uh, you know, make the time valuable. And uh, that's what I'm doing, man. I'm just trying to make myself take this opportunity to make myself a better musician do you um do you have any um upcoming online shows or or uh anything that you'd like to um talk about um what do i got going i got a i got a show on March, may 22nd at 10 o'clock on can't stop the blues cool have a, yeah one hour show have you done that show yet I'm doing it, um, I just recorded my segments, and I'm going to do it on Wednesday, let me see, May 27th at 9. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I'll be tuning in. It's a good, it's a good forum. It's a good, it's a, it's your first one? Yes, sir. With them? Oh, yeah, that's very good. good. It's a great, it's a great uh, portal. It's a great way to, you, you're going to get exposed to a lot of, a lot of people. They got about 14, 15, that's good, man. On that thing. That's good. Yeah, I can't it's wait. A, it's a fun. It's a fun. Uh, it's a fun forum. Oh, good. So um, I'm doing that, and uh, and then we'll see what else comes down the line. 
I'm trying to I'm trying to space these out. I'm not trying to be too overbearing. Right. Yeah. With people, you know, I don't want to sure. beat, beat people over the head. Yeah. Um. Do you uh, can you tell the people about uh, what's your website and uh, where you, where they can find your music? Yes, I mean um, you can purchase my music. There are many ways you can go to Amazon or iTunes, uh, and you could also go on my website www.albertcastilla.net or .com, and uh, I have a merchandise store there, and I have the new albums. My latest album, Wild and Free, I also have masterpiece available and uh, links to my other stuff. Awesome. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on my little show here and um, talking yeah, to man, me. It's been, it was fun, bro. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's good to catch up with you. It is good to catch you know, up with you've you. Been kicking around, you've been kicking around the scene a while too, you old dog. <laughs> Been doing this. You've been doing this thing a while. Yeah, too you long. Know, you ain't no spring chicken, bro. <laughs> we'll go back all the way back to the to the early nineties. I remember. Oh crap! Yeah. So you know, you ain't you know about this. You know what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard road. It is, man. It's a hard road, but it's a fun road. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's true. All right, man. Well, say hello to the missus, and... Um, I went back at you. And you guys got some dogs there? I just got one. We just got Ella. Cool. Ella Fitzgerald Castillo III. <laughs> I heard you guys got a pretty cool dog. Michelle was telling me. Yeah. His name's Oliver. Like she said, she says, Oliver? Yeah. She said he's got, like, human eyes. <laughs> exactly. He looks like Chewbacca. True? He looks like Chewbacca, like a baby Chewbacca. Really? Yeah. I just saw one on, on the face on Facebook that looked like Nick Malin. <laughs> I'll send you a picture. White. Yeah, send me a picture. I want to see. Okay. She said, man, he's cool. He got the coolest dog. He's got like two <laughs> <laughs> today. Well, man, thank you, my brother. Have a have a have a have a blessed Saturday and weekend. You too, brother. Love you. Love you too. Take care. Peace. All right, all right, all right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. And please, please spread the good word on peace, love, and hot sauce. And I'll see you on the flip side.